guys, today, uh, this morning, I'm going to have a lot of fun. Um, and uh, what I'm going to share with you is, has become kind of a heart message for me for um, the last, ooh, has it been a decade yet? Uh, maybe six years? And so uh, I'm just going to do some business with the Lord. If you don't mind, uh, you can join me. Lord God, we, we love you. And we want to love you more. And we know that we are only one expression of the body of Christ in a community of multiple churches that are meeting right now. And Lord, last night as I was against that wall and I was praying and just worshiping you, Lord, I was telling you, God, we're here for you. And I got the sense that you looked right back down to me and said, that's funny because I'm here for you. And so, Lord, I pray that all of us would feel that, that God is here, that they would feel your presence, Holy Spirit, that you would come and that you would speak in words that are so much more powerful than what my words can be. And that you would accomplish far beyond what I can accomplish just by speaking for a few minutes. Lord, we surrender to you, we open up to you, we submit to you, uh, and we just ask that you would speak to us in a way uh, that would bring life and peace and, and empowerment and that you would equip us for the work of the saints, for the building up of the body, that we would walk in that which you have for us so that you're glorified and so that we can love you deeper and worship you harder and that you would just look down and say, gosh, I'm so pleased with my sons and daughters that shine. And I pray beyond these four walls that, that your, your sheep that are scattered to the pasture, that are gathering in churches and those lost sheep that bear your name but are not connected to a community or to a family, Lord, harass them with your spirit. Bring them in. Bring them into relationship with each other so transformation can occur. Lord, we, you are such a good father. You're so good to us and we just thank you that we get to participate and join in and come face to face with you yet again. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, um, so I'm gonna start off by asking a few questions. Uh, how many of you, we kind of communicated this through our house churches last weekend. How many of you watched uh, Free Burma Rangers? We had a watch party here Friday night just to kind of get a, a feel for the crowd, okay. Um, that's still out there. It's on Prime Video. It's a strange name, Free Burma, like the country of Burma, Rangers. I encourage you to watch it. Uh, it's, uh, you're not going to just watch it. It's going to wreck you. Um, and I'm going to reference it maybe today uh, with a few people in the room, maybe not. But, um, but definitely, like next week, we're going we're gonna to lean into that. Um, next question. Um, how many of you, and, and I'm thinking of the mothers, but fathers too. Eli's going to speak up here, I can tell. Uh, we're going we're gonna to give you a microphone real quick. What I'm looking for, what I'm fishing for, is a parent who is praying for a child. Uh, maybe it's a child you adopted. Maybe it was a child before your child was born. Maybe it was later where you were just asking the Lord, Lord, who is this kid going to be? And you felt like you got a response from the Lord. And he gave you an idea of who they are or who they will be. Has anybody had that experience? We got one there. Please tell us your name and tell us your story. Oh, the microphone. Hi, I'm Ramey. Um, when I was in Mops when my child was younger, um, it might have been Kim DeMay, maybe, who said, you know, let's just take some time, pray, ask God what he sees in your child. 
and I'm probably going to cry just because where I'm at right now. But um, anyway, I prayed and I thought God said she is a comforter. She is a friend to those who need a friend. She's a, a lover of people. And so I've kind of always believed that, but we're in a place right now where she's not a comforter and she's not a friend to some of those. And so it's been a little bit of a struggle. Mm -hmm. So I'm trying to bring myself back to the songs about who am I to say what God can't do? So. Oh my gosh, that'll preach. Thank you so much. Um, Anybody else? I'm going to come back to that. That was really good. We've got one over here. Hi, I'm Karen. Um, uh, Years ago, maybe almost 20, um, my son was going through some cancer and friends were from my other church were praying for him at the hospital and they walked out of the room and they said, he's got the call of God on him. Hmm. And I'd always felt that he was really different and uh, that it just encouraged me, but um, he's not walking with God. Mm. <laughs> so well, we're really hoping that yeah. he'll change his mind. Mm. Yes. Yeah, I, uh, uh, the, the verse just popped in my head. The call of God is irrevocable. So we pray. For, what, is his, what is his name? Okay, Lord, we just pray for Robert. And if there is a call that you have, you have called him, Lord, and we know that your call is irrevocable. And despite uh, the lies, despite uh, the temptations, despite everything else in his life, Lord, just call him back. Call him back, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, one, one of the, the preeminent joys of, of being a father and a mother is to align ourselves with the father heart of God. And what he does, what gives him great pleasure, uh, God loves names. He loves names. He's all about them in the Bible. And a name is not just a label like we kind of think of it. A name is an identity. And it breathes purpose. And uh, when you think about, I think about the Trinity. You know, God the Father, Christ the Son, the Holy Spirit. uh, They all existed before time began, right? But if you think about it, The Bible tells this story where each person of the Trinity was kind of revealed at a different point in the history of mankind, right? So you had God the Father, right, who who we know from the Old Testament is is perfect, and he's he's holy, and he's, you know, the white hot with glory is kind of this thought that I I had yesterday. Uh, And when he looks to Moses and says, Moses, you're one of mine, I, I know you by name, Moses says, then, Lord, show me your glory. And, and, the God, and God, he, he wants to show him his glory, but he, but he can't because Moses' frame is so fragile. And he said, he said, if you were to behold me for who I am, you would die. So he said, I tell you what, I'll hide you in the cleft of the rock. I'll put my hand over you and I will cause my glory to pass by you. I'll remove my hand and you, and you can look at me from the backside, but my face you cannot see. But his heart was what? His, his heart was, was nearness, was to be close to us. And so here comes Jesus. God the Father becomes God the Son, and, it's, and he takes this step towards us. He said the Word was in the beginning. The Word was God. The Word was with God. The Word was God. And, and then later it says the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. What was his motivation there other than, he definitely had some business he needed to take care of while he was here on earth, but it was to be close to us. But then uh, I was telling a story yesterday as I'm watching this, this series, The Chosen, you know, I kind of had this fantasy that when Jesus was on earth, it must have been awesome. 
Well, it was awesome when he was sitting at the table with his disciples or when he was around the fire pit with them. But what happened when he stepped away a few hundred yards to minister to somebody else? Strife, division, envy, uh, anxiety. It was, it was like, come on, guys, Jesus is right there. Well, he's, not, he's, he's in the other room. So Jesus says, hey, it's, it's better that I leave because God the Father wants to take another step. And he wants to be as close to you as he possibly can. Closer than Jesus could with his disciples. So he said, you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And so we're in this series now where we're, we're asking the Lord, you know, as he's saying, come with me, we're like, Lord, how in the world do we come with you? And he's saying, you walk in step with the Holy Spirit. I've put my spirit inside of you. And what we're going to talk about this morning is probably one of my favorite things that the Holy Spirit does is he, he comes in alongside of us and he becomes the spirit of adoption. He becomes that spirit who gives us a name. He reminds us of who we are are. And so Paul knew this in Romans 8. He says, for all who are being led by the Spirit of God, that's walking according to the Spirit of God. Uh, Romans 8, for all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are sons and daughters of God. For you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you have received a spirit of adoption by sons, uh, as sons and daughters by which we cry out, Abba, Father. Abba is another word for Daddy. Says so the Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. So God in us, one of His primary roles is He's walking with us and He's giving us a name. He's reminding us of that identity when we seem to have lost our way. When when we're walking not as an adopted son or daughter of God, when we have an orphan spirit, He's saying, "Hey, that's not you. You're mine." Come over here. Ephesians um, 3. Uh, I love this, this text. This is Lauren introduced a couple of weeks ago. She, she kind of shared the story about how, you know, we started our relationship uh, despite my uh, cowardice and uh, trying to screw it up. Uh, this is the group of texts that the Lord prompted me to ask her to marry me. So this was a year later. And, and it goes like this. This is Paul, literally, like his heart's just bursting inside of him. And, he, and he's saying, he's writing to the, his, his favorite group of people in Ephesus. He's writing this letter to him. He said, guys, this is why I bow my knees to the Father. This is what drives me to my knees. The Father who gives everybody an identity, a name, right? The Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory, of his abundant wealth, that he's gonna share some with you so that, so that, so that you uh, could be strengthened with power through his Holy Spirit that's at work inside of you. There's the Holy Spirit's role again. That he would bolster you so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. So that you, uh, being rooted and established in, in love, not, not in your goodness, not in your Bible knowledge, but in love, you would be able to comprehend together with all the saints, because we're all having this same experience individually, that you would be able to comprehend what is the, the, the width and the, and the length and the height and the depth uh, to know this love of Christ, which surpasses knowledge. Did you hear it? To know what, what can't be known. 
to, to know here what can't be grasped here. And here's the goal, that you may be filled to the fullness of God. And so if you're filled to the fullness of God, what, by definition, what are you not? If you're filled up, yeah, you're, 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 you're not empty. Not even a little bit. Because if you're empty a little bit, then you have a need. There, there's want there. Um, let's, let's go back to the picture of an orphan. Um, when, when uh, in many parts of the world, orphans look like this. Um, they don't have a father and mother that are uh, out earning daily wages uh, that then will go to the marketplace and buy bread and then will feed their child. Uh, an orphan is out on the street with this posture. They're, they're beggars, right? Uh, they have need. They're not filled. There's, there's a groaning there. There's a, there's a hunger there. And so when we inherit this orphan spirit, when we walk in this orphan spirit, we ourselves, if we're not being filled up to the fullness of God, y'all remember Joshua's picture here last month where he's pouring the water into the vase? If we're not being filled with the Holy Spirit, then we're lacking. And, and that's, um, guys, that's a sad place to be. Um, Mark, I love you, dude. I enjoy you. You're a good friend of mine, I consider. I would love to know you more. But I don't need anything from you. And you don't need anything from me. Because we are filled up to the fullness of God. So we aren't social beggars when we, when we come to the table or we meet for coffee or we go have lunch. Because if we were, then what happens if, if you ghosted me on a text? Or, or if you said something to me that, that uh, didn't meet my need? Or in, in any way, you didn't meet that expectation that I have for you. Well, now I'm angry with you. You owe me. I need something from you, and you're not providing it for me. So pff, that's because I'm not filled up to the fullness of God. I'm a social beggar. I'm an emotional beggar. I'm a spiritual beggar. That, that, uh, that, that rest, that, that peace that uh, fulfillment that, I, that I'm supposed to find from the heavenly father, the giver of all good gifts, now I'm, I'm going to Mark. Is, is that fair to him? No. How many relationships do we have in life that are exactly like that? Hmm. How many marriages do we have? How unfair of me to ask of Lauren. No, no, no. She's pretty good. How unfair of Lauren is it to Lauren for her to expect something from me that I don't have the capacity to give her. Even though I want to, most of the times in my weakness, I don't even want to give it to her. Um, that's that's going to be a marriage that's going to be a train wreck. I can't do that for her. But we're not beggars. We are adopted sons and daughters of God, filled up to all the fullness of God. And so um, we're going to go to this slide here that's going to just talk about this, this phrase, the orphan spirit. Uh, there's this guy, Leif Hetland. He wrote a book called Healing the Orphan Spirit. Uh, I try as often as I can to recommend great books. Um, and this is a great book. Healing the Orphan Spirit by Leif Hetland. Uh, he he um, identified a few of these and kind of talks into them. But an orphan is separated. They're alone. Uh, a, a son or daughter is connected. They belong. They have a family they're not abandoned and cast out. They're, they're welcomed in, and they, and they know they're welcomed. Um, an orphan, because of what they don't have, they're always striving to earn 
the right to have a seat at the table. They're striving to earn love. Uh, and, and a son or daughter, they, they rest in love. You know, I always crack up, kind of annoyed at first, but then I love it. Um, we're in our house church, and we're, we're actively leading a house church. And my daughter will come in like nobody's there. And she'll want to crawl up in my lap and talk to me about, you know, they're having an issue and they're playing with a toy down there. And it's like, who do you think? I'm in the middle of something. She doesn't care. She's like, you're my daddy. What's the deal? I can come to you anytime. An orphan uh, is compelled to do. Uh, a daughter just receives. It just receives from the father. Uh, an orphan is envious of what other people seem to have. Their, their connection, their belonging, their rust. They're like, rest. They're like, why, why, where's my invitation? Right? Uh, can you imagine the first orphan, Satan, in the Garden of Eden looking through the bush? And he's like, oh, no. No, Father God created this Adam and Eve, and there's this, like, intimacy, and there's this father-son-daughter relationship, and, and where's my invitation? Where, okay, well, if I'm not going to get it, then I'm going to wreck it, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just spread my orphan spirit to them, and it broke out in the whole, all of creation. Um, they're beggars that, versus being filled up with love, identity, um, purpose. You know, we heard the purpose here that she's to be a comforter and a lover of her friends. Um, and this, this is where I want to camp out. An orphan strives to make a name for themselves. Do y'all remember in the Bible, uh, this is a toughie, uh, when they all gathered together and they said this phrase, oh, let us come together and make a name for ourselves. Do you remember who that was? Ooh, ooh, there you go. Be like gold star, man. Genesis 11, Tower of Babel. Hey, we don't, it's not good enough that we bear the name of the heavenly father and we receive our identity for him. No, we, we're, we're orphans. Let's, we're gonna do this by ourselves and we're gonna create a name for ourselves. Mm. Really didn't have anything to do with the tower, did it? The Lord was like, oh, that's, you're headed down a, a tough path. All right, so um, the Lord um, gives you a unique identity. There is the universal calling that we can all rest in and walk in as just uh, adopted sons and daughters, but, but I'm here to, to try to convince you, and by the work of the Holy Spirit that he would speak in your heart, that he has wired you specifically, that he has designed you for a purpose, and that he, in some cases, uh, will give you a specific name. Uh, but in nearly all cases, he'll give you an idea that, that just kind of encapsulates your identity. And so we're going to press into this. And you may be thinking, mm, uh, you know, God gives me, God the Father gives me a name. Well, I'm not sure about that. So that's why we're sitting at tables. And so what we're going to do is we are, if you want to throw this slide up, we're going to do something called identity mapping. Uh, and I'm excited about this because... It's going to blow your mind. All right, so we're going to go through and we're going to look at one of these names. You've got an envelope in the middle of your table with the name of a Bible character on it, okay? And, we are, and it's got scripture references, so I want you to glance at the references. And we're going to, we're going to do one of these together so you kind of understand what we're looking to do here. Um, but we're, we're, uh, we want you to look at the references, and what I want you to note is just data points of identity, so some of y'all e have an easy one. When you read the text, you know, God comes forth and changes somebody name, somebody's name and says, I'm changing your name to this for this reason. Well, that's an obvious one. Many of you do not have uh, clearly obvious examples like that. Um, so you're trying to sniff out like an investigator 
What is the identity that God gave this person? And then look at the clues. Um, where are they from? What's their training? What are their personality like? What are their passions? Where do they survive? Does it align with that identity that God gave them? Or is it not? Uh, how does Satan attack them? Uh, do they believe it when, when God comes down and says, you are, you know, do, do they receive it? Like, oh yeah, totally, God, that's me. I've been waiting for you to confirm that. Or did they not believe it? What, what happened when they said, okay, that's who I am. Now I'm gonna, thank you, Lord. Now I'm gonna walk out of step with the Holy Spirit and I'm gonna seize my identity and do things my own way. And how did that turn out? So we're gonna do this. You guys ready? All right, uh, can we jump over to the, let me see if I can do this. Um, let's think about Moses. Um, so Moses, um, the first four chapters of Exodus. Yep, I'm doing it now. Um, what is, uh, Moses is, is uh, the people are in Egypt. There's a new Pharaoh. Uh, Pharaoh says, hey, uh, these, these Hebrew people, they're growing way too fast. Uh, they're becoming way too powerful. And so we need to do something about that or they're going to overthrow us, right? And so he goes to the midwives and he says, hey, I want you to kill all the newborn uh, baby boys. And the midwives go, okay, yes, sir. And then they go and they, they don't do it. And then Pharaoh comes back and says, what the heck, ladies? Like I told you, I want you to kill all the baby boys. And they're like, oh man, these Sabra Hebrew women, they're so resilient. They have these babies before we even get there. And he's like, okay. So then he goes, he actually uh, makes a decree for all the Egyptian people and basically gives them permission. Can you imagine this? Gives them permission and says, if you see a Hebrew baby boy, you, you have the right, and in fact, I'm commanding you to rip that baby boy out of his mother's arms and throw him in the Nile. Not a good day, like really tough stuff, right? That's when Moses is born. And who's he's born to? Exodus chapter two, verse one. He's born to a man who was a Levi from the tribe of Levi, and he was born to a woman who was from the tribe of Levi. What do we know about Levites? Ooh, that's interesting. Let's write that down. So Moses, he's a priest, He's from the lineage of priests. Okay, all right, so then we, the, the story continues. He grows up. Um, well, he's born, three months later, his, his mom puts him in the basket, he puts him in the river, trying to save his life. She's going through all those emotions. Uh, Pharaoh's daughter is bathing in the, in the water, sees the basket, y'all know the story. Um, and the Lord rescues him in a, in a powerful way, right? And so she grabs him up and she eventually says, hey, I'm gonna name you red flag, Moses, because I've rescued you out of the water. Now put yourself in Moses' shoes. As soon as he could understand spoken language, at probably every birthday party he ever had as a child, what story are they going to tell? Yes, how he was rescued. Hey, you were rescued out of the river. How crazy of a story is that? So what did Moses know what it felt like to be rescued? All right, so he's, he's rescued out of the water, and then he moves on, he grows up. I'll just leave it at rescued. He grows up, and he uh, is walking along, and then he finds this Egyptian overlord just beating the fire out of this, one of his brothers, right? Um, and uh, what does he have to do? What is he just like 
It's not like it's the first beating he's ever seen, I'm sure. But now that it was an Egyptian overlord beating one of his brethren, what in his chest did he just feel like he had to do? He had to rescue. The injustice of it, there was something that just snapped inside of him. Now, did he look to heaven and say, Lord, this is wrong. How do you want me to receive in this situation? What do you want me to do? Like David said, did he look to heaven and inquire of the Lord? He took matters into his own hands. He, he murdered the Egyptian, and then what, what did he do? Just like an orphan, he took it, matters in his own hands, and now he's homeless. He's running, here comes the shame, here comes the fear, here comes the homelessness, and he's running to Midian, and as soon as he gets there, he comes to a well. Do y'all remember this, this part of the story? He, he comes to this well, and there's these, these women that are coming in to draw water for their flocks, and there are these shepherds that are there. And it says they, the shepherds come in and they, they run the women off and they're just kind of harassing them. And then what does is, what is Moses feel in his chest? What does he have to do? This is the beginning or the end of chapter two. He, he's got to step in. He's got to step in. He's got to rescue them. In fact, so the women, so he does that. He didn't murder anybody this time, but he, he goes back or, or these women go back to their father's house and, and apparently this happens all the time because the father is saying, man, why are you guys here so soon? What happened? And here's the phrase she says, an Egyptian delivered us from the hand of these shepherds. Hmm. Stays there for a little while. Um, the, the father said, well, where is the guy? Bring him in. He gives him one of his daughters. And then the beginning of verse three, he said, okay, now Moses was pasturing the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law. So he's a, he's a shepherd, okay? We've, we've heard three stories of him rescuing or being rescued. Uh, along comes a burning bush. He presses in for deeper meaning. Uh, the Lord uh, uses Moses' language, and he says, uh, for I've heard the cry of the people, so I have come down to deliver my people from the power of the Egyptians. Moses is starting to get nervous. <laughs> He's like, um, and then later, a few verses later, he's saying, Moses, I've called you that you may bring my people out, that you may deliver my people. And what does Moses say? Thank God I have been waiting for this. My heart burns for this. Oh, the guy, I mean, the pit in his stomach. Can you just see it? He's like, no way. Send somebody else. What, what? You know, I would have loved to have seen if there were other people in that pasture that were kind of standing off the side and listening. What are they thinking? Moses, you're the guy. You are the guy. You, you are a, a Levite Hebrew. You, you grew up in Pharaoh's house. You, you know Pharaoh personally. Like the strategy of God here is insane. You are perfect for the job but he doesn't believe it. Do y'all see this? All right, so in your tables, I'm gonna give you five minutes. What I want you to do is I want you to dive in with your person that's on your envelope. I want you to look at those texts. Five minutes is not a long time, you guys, and try to find data points. Don't focus on these questions necessarily unless you need to. Um, Look at the text and see, try to squeeze out what is this person's identity, and we'll come right back. Well, let's... uh, Let's run through these briefly. Um, let's, let's just go by table. 
Um, I thought I had a cheat sheet here, but we'll just go by table to make sure we hit everybody. Uh, Eli, who do you, Ed, who did you guys have at this table? We had Paul. Okay, have we got a microphone, yep. Brett? All right, grab a, grab a speaker, representative. So uh, this, this table had Paul, and, and we had another table that had Paul, right? Yes. That was you, Chris? Yeah. Okay. All right, hey, everybody, this is Chris uh, and Eli. All right, so let's be sure to tell our names. Um, so you guys, uh, talk to me about Paul. What did you think? Um, Chris, let's actually, y'all have fewer people at your table. Let's, uh, wh what did y'all pick up about Paul? And then since y'all have more people here, we'll let y'all clean up anything they missed. Well, in all fairness, fewer people may be more mistakes. That's, that's all right. Less, less this is a safe place. So, um, uh, you know, <laughs> what, what, what am I doing right now? I'm answering, <laughs> I'm answering those questions, or am I just no, 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 just whatever y'all talked about. Um, yeah. So, so do you ha do you feel like uh, it was obvious who Paul, what his identity in Christ is, or what his uh, so yeah. what his name Paul, right? Yep, right. Which was changed from Saul. Oh, that's interesting. Yep. Now, uh, open it up for anybody. What's the only other Saul that I think we know of in the Bible? Ah, okay. So he's named after a king. It's a Hebrew name that's got regal connotations, but then his name is changed to? Paul. Does anybody know the origins of Paul? It's a Roman name that means little, small. He goes from this regal Hebrew name to then taking on this name that would be common for like a servant in a, in a Roman household. Interesting. Okay. Anything else about Paul's background that y'all um, noted? Well, that he was blind, um, mm -hmm. that he was given vision, yep. um, that there was a reluctance from Ananias, Ananias, Ananias yeah. to I go even talk to the guy because of his reputation yeah. of being, you know, harmful. Uh -huh. um, so he's a passionate dude. Yeah. Yep. yep. And, um, and then what struck me as I was reading, maybe struck us was... Um, you know, God said to Ananias, or somehow it was communicated that he will have a life of suffering still. Yeah. Like, I will show him uh, suffering. He suffer for my name. Well, you know that Paul was a pretty prolific writer of the Bible. So, well, so, so. Paul, okay, uh, I will show him that he must suffer for my name's sake. What did Paul inflict before his encounter with Jesus? Uh, he was familiar with suffering. He, he knew that world. Mm -hmm. Okay, that's great. Hey, well done. Thank you. As being a visitor and... And the first one to speak here. <laughs> All right, uh, this table, anything that y'all would like to add to that, just identity related? Uh, yeah, um, so we were just talking about how uh, he was educated, um, Jewish, Hebrew, Ooh. Roman, and uh, a conf confident. And so, um, it, so going through all that, um, he thought he knew, like he was zealous for God. He was gro grown up in um, a family like that. Um, so he thought he like knew mm -hmm. all about what God was, but then he was humbled. Yeah. So um, let, let me toss this out there because I've thought about this a lot. Um, if we were to put a name tag on Paul, uh, out of the apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, and teacher, uh, Paul says in almost every one of his letters that he wrote, he introduces himself as Paul, comma, and apostle of Jesus Christ. And over and over and over again, he says, I'm an apostle of Jesus Christ to the... Gentiles, okay? So that's, that's the name that if I put a, a tag on his chest, I'd say Apostle Jesus Christ of the Gentiles. Um, 
and, but there's a lot of facets to that, right? So here you are, you got a Hebrew that was born in Tarsus, a Roman community. So he's familiar with the Gentile culture. He takes on the Gentile name, but he's still a Pharisee and he's still zealous. So who better later when the Holy Spirit smashes this group of people and he harvests folks, he brings sheep in from the Jewish church and he brings people from who knows what pagan practice, the Gentiles, he wants to smash them together into this beautiful thing we call the church. And the Jews are like, uh-uh, you gotta be circumcised, you gotta do this, you gotta do this. Who better to defend, legitimize, and validate the Gentiles to the Jews than Paul himself? You see the strategy there? It's who he is. No mistakes in his past. It's exactly, the Lord can redeem anything. All right, uh, you guys good if we move on? All right, let's, let's go, Maddie. Let's go to that back table there. Sorry, I called your name, but I didn't mean to. I'm Maddie. Um, we had Jesus. Oh, Jesus. Um, let's, let's keep this short. What's, short and sweet. Who, who, what's his identity? So he grew up um, a Nazarite. So, but the main theme that we picked out was um, in early Matthew 3, he's baptized. Yeah. And, and what, is, what does his father say? His father says, um, a voice from heaven said, this is my son. This is my son. Whom I love, and with him I'm pleased. Okay. So his entire growing up, he gets led by the spirit into the wilderness, and gets tempted and tested, and every Ooh. single time that the enemy comes to him, he threatens the very identity of son. So he says, if you are the son of God, and that's what he says to him every time and throw something at him. Jesus responds fully embodying it, empowered by the spirit and says, you know, I am the son and it is written. So he knows the word of the Lord and follows in obedience. And then because of that, um, the enemy leaves him and angels attend to him. So, uh, Maddie, that'll, you just hit on something huge. Satan, when, when he was tempting Jesus, did he attack his hunger? Did he attack his fear of heights? Or did he attack his identity? And every time as he approached, approached Jesus, he says, if you are the son of God. This could be really eye-opening for us as, as a, a body of, of sons and daughters here. Who, who are raising kids and are rubbing shoulders with people at work and we, and we want to do the Lord's work. We want to see his kingdom expand in the hearts of people. Uh, watch how Satan attacks them. Watch how Satan attacks you because he will often overplay his hand and it can oftentimes be a point, it can point you to your true identity. Remember, he's the liar. So when he's telling Moses, Moses, don't you ever rescue again. Look what happened. But God comes and says, hey, you're a rescuer. When Satan comes in and says, if you're the son of God, come on. Jesus says, no, I am the father's son. That is really powerful. So great, great point. So we're picking up these principles, okay? Um, anything else or are you ready to move on? All right, let's go to this table here. Mark? Yeah, our guy was David. Okay, David. All sorts of stuff, but what we honed in on was his bravery. okay that he was a protector of the flock that he was in charge of and had no problem 
wiping out a bear and a lion. Yep. Or a, she was a brave. giant. Or a giant. Or, yeah. Yeah. Or another king. Mm-hmm. So, so David, uh, what was he doing the very first time he's mentioned in the Bible? When Samuel comes to Jesse and said, don't you have any more sons? Shepherding sheep. He's shepherding sheep. Uh, later on when he's anointed and so many times when the Lord is speaking to him, uh, what does the Lord remind him over and over again? He goes, I am calling you to shepherd my people. Uh, if you jump uh, to 2 Samuel, all those verses are in 1 Samuel, but you go to 2 Samuel. So now David is on in years. He's been uh, down the road a little bit with the Lord. Uh, the Lord and him continue to speak that sheep and shepherd language uh, as he's praying and receiving from the Lord. It's really cool. When you, when you have eyes to see it, this becomes like, it, it, it's like their little code. <laughs> it's like how the Lord meets him where his heart is already wired and designed to be. He's a, he's a shepherd of God's people. He's a shepherd with, with God's heart. He's a shepherd who also is like a warlord. I mean, the guy's fearless. He's brave. He's, he's got all these attributes, but at his core, the Lord is calling him to be a shepherd to his people. That's wonderful. Um, this table back here. Who have you guys got? Oh, you got Abraham. Okay, we got another name change in the works. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, so we had Abraham, and um, he, like, left his people, and he married a barren woman, and God told him he was going to be the father of many nations. Wait, that doesn't make sense. So he hooked up with Hagar and had Ishmael, which did not work out beautifully, and um, then God said, no, Sarah's going to have a child. And he like fell on his face laughing to himself because he didn't think that was going to happen. Mm. And then he had Isaac and God asked him to sacrifice Isaac. Um, and by that time, I think he had figured out that God was faithful. So he was like, all right, mm. you can raise him from the dead if you have to. Like, this is your promise. You're going you're gonna to yeah. make good on it now. Uh, interesting uh, that Abraham, so obviously, he, uh, the Lord explicitly says, I'm changing your name from Abram to Abraham. You're going to be the father of many nations. Uh, at the time he took his wife, uh, the connotation of the Hebrew there is that he knew Sarah was barren. So, oh my gosh, can you imagine like just um, his, his, his heart of generosity, his heart of like, the, and the Lord chose him. He just loved that. He took this woman in. Uh, the Lord says, hey, you're going to be the father of many nations. His original name, Abram, meant exalted father. So it's not like he wasn't uh, clued into that. Um, he, he, he walks further. Uh, the Lord says, gives him this promise, and then he takes matters into his own hands, doesn't he? And boy, did that mess things up, right? You, now you have him sleeping with his um, slave girl, and then they have Ishmael, and the Arab nation, uh, is, is sprung from, from Ishmael's seed, uh, and then he later remains faithful, and the Lord gives him Isaac as promised, and then Isaac is obviously the father of the Jewish nation, and there's definitely no conflict there that has lasted for generations and generations, right? So, like, not a big deal. It's a huge deal. He stepped out of his identity. He, he thought, he was like, well, God told me, so I'm just going to do it, and he walked out of step, with the Lord, and he tried to took matters into his own hands, and it was catastrophic. And then later, we know that he was tested. The Lord's like, hey, I promised you this, but I'm asking you to lay it down for me. Will you do it this time? Or are you going to do it your way again? All right, let's go. All right, what do you got at this table? Um, we have John. Okay. Which I think is kind of easy sometimes, but um, I think the biggest thing is he's the one whom Jesus loved, and um, he refers to himself that way. I think that's something that he, like, so strongly identifies with. Yeah. I'm a little bit jealous of that, actually. But, yeah. um, <laughs> um, and he was a fisherman. Yep. Um, 
not just of actual fish. But, right. Um, Do you remember the very first name Jesus when he encountered him? The name that Jesus kind of nicknamed he gave uh, John and his brother? Sons of Thunder. Yep, Sons of Thunder. Um, so he goes from Sons of Thunder to now, isn't it interesting how he spends time with the Lord and his true identity comes out as Jesus' beloved. And then when you read 1 John, what is 1 John? Like the letter that he wrote, what is it dripping with? The love of God. The guy knew God's love. It's where he resided. Okay, uh, this table. Okay, we have Gideon. Okay. Ooh, one of my favorites. Uh, Gideon was hiding, uh, threshing the wheat when God called him. He was hiding from the Midianites. He was hiding. Yeah. He was afraid. He was hiding and he was threshing the wheat at night. What did Um, God call him? God called him to lead the Midi- the Israelites to fight against Midian- Midianites. Okay. And Gideon had the, uh, definitely had an orphan mentality because he said, you know, you handed us over to the Midianites, basically. Like, that's why I'm in here hiding because they're going to take all of our food and kill us. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, he was afraid. Uh, th- now, you said what he was called to. What is the name? Oh. When the angel showed up, the messenger of God, he addressed Gideon by name. What is the, what is the phrase um, he used? He, it's Jerub, where is it? Jerub Baal. Oh, no, not that name. That's oh. the name everybody gave him because he was oh. being a oh, bad mama mighty man. Um, mighty man of valor or something like that. Yes. <laughs> so when a messenger of God showed up in his fear, when he was threshing wheat, instead of on this, on this uh, threshing floor on the top of a hill where there's lots of breeze, he was threshing wheat inside a wine press. He's, he's fearfully hiding and the angel of the Lord shows up and says, mighty warrior. Yeah. Uh, Midian at that point had been, well, before I go there, later on in the story, uh, he's finally starting to be convinced that he is a mighty warrior, slowly. He's like testing God, doing the fleece thing. He's doing all this stuff. Uh, he's doubting. He's got that orphan spirit still. And, uh, and uh, finally, after he did the thing with Baal and he got that nickname, Jeruba Baal, um, He's, it says he sends a dispatch out to all the other tribes, like basically rallying the troops saying, hey, let's run after Midian. And then late, and it doesn't say the response until later in the story. Y'all remember, God says, you've got too many soldiers. Uh, so we want to whittle it down to, to 300. But, but the numbers that they start off with, do you, do you remember? Like the first test, it says, and there remain 22,000 soldiers. 10,000 were disqualified. 32,000 people when this man sent out a dispatch saying, hey, rally behind me, we're going after the Midians, what did they think of Gideon? This guy is a mighty warrior. He didn't believe it. He's sitting there trembling and asking for all this confirmation. Everybody around him knew who he was. Isn't that amazing? Good principle there. All right, uh, let's go to this table here. Oh, sorry, time out. I've got I've to highlight this. Um, it says at the very beginning of, of that chapter in Judges, uh, Midian was essentially harassing the people of God for seven years. Uh, if, if, uh, if somebody dropped out and started having a cardiac arrest right here in the middle of our talk here, what would somebody yell? Is there a doctor in the house? 
there will be times as you go, that, that, that party potato that Mark Marble talks about, that, that Ephesians 2.10, that peripateo in the Greek, that who you are, the identity that God gives you, as you go, you are going to encounter circumstances where the Lord is saying, go, go. It's, it's you. It's your time right now. You're the doctor in the house. He's having a cardiac arrest. Everybody's freaking out, and you know exactly how to save his life. Gideon, you are a mighty warrior. My people have been harassed for seven years. I'm, the call is going out. Where is a mighty warrior? Where are you, Gideon? And the Lord's patient, and he wrestles with him, and he does the fleece game, and he does all that because he's a loving father. But the Lord has an identity for you, and he has a purpose. All right, go ahead. Okay, our, uh, we were taking a look at uh, John the Baptist. Um, and I, I just want to say, I, uh, in this short period of time, it's really amazing, this exercise, because you can see how this is a quilt, uh, and it leads right into, for a time such as this, every one of us individually can be chosen. And, and then I, I'm actually kind of startled at how fast we address these issues and what I learned about John the Baptist. And um, uh, if, if I can say this, it's pretty, pretty powerful. Um, it says, although his formative years were lived in obscurity in the desert, his public ministry ended nearly 400 years of prophetic silence. I didn't know that. And uh, anyway, that, that, it's really cool. I just, yeah. I really like this. I'd love to do this more often and do it for like two hours. Yeah. So we're we're trying not to go there. But <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. So uh, the the leaders in Jerusalem they hear there's this wacko out in the wilderness, um, um, you know, doing ministries, baptizing people, and they send this delegation. And they're like, "Who are you? Are you Elijah?" And he says, "No." Are you the prophet? No. Are you the Messiah? No. Is it who who are you? And what does he say? So I am the voice of one. He quotes Isaiah. He says, I'm the, one, I'm the voice of the one crying in the wilderness, preparing the way of the Lord. He had that off the tip of his tongue, which is a weird thing to have on the tip of your tongue, unless the Lord has like stirred that in his heart and imprinted it deeply so he knew exactly who he was. Later on, John the Baptist is beheaded because he stepped out, I think, something to think about. He no longer was the voice of the one in the wilderness. Now he wants to be the voice of the one in politics. And look where that got him. You know, we assume that it's in the Bible. Well, it was just God's will. It was just persecution. Well, was it? Or was he just where he shouldn't have been? Was he doing? Was he walking in a calling that was never his to have? Justin, yes, sir. I just want to say something pretty powerful that uh, that John was a transitional figure forming the link between the Old and the New Testament. That's huge. That's preparing the way for the Messiah. Absolutely. Okay, uh, last table. Uh, who have you got? So we had Peter. Peter was a fisherman. Another name change. <clears throat> he, he did have a name change. He, yeah. he started with Simon Peter and went to Peter. Uh, he was from Caesarea Philippi. Yep. And I'm only saying that because I just learned how to say it. Uh, did change his name, 
he was challenged to not test God. And he did test God. Uh, people would ask him who, who uh, he thought was the Son of God, and he said no three times to it being Jesus. And then a rooster crowed, and then he realized that when the rooster crowed after they were, mm. after he said three times mm. that, that Jesus was not the Son of God, mm. that he was actually being given a sign that, in fact, Jesus is the Son of God. Yeah. Um, he became a disciple, and he became a leader of apostles, traveled around multiple places to perform miracles and yeah. to convert other followers. That's good. All right, so Peter, the fisherman, Jesus says, I'm going to make you fishers of men. He's speaking his language. And then later comes in and he goes, you will be my rock. That name that you have means rock. I will build my church on this profession that your life will become, will, will revolve around, which is Jesus is the Messiah. He's the son of God. Okay, guys, uh, have I convinced you? This is a real thing. The Lord wires you and he's designed you specifically for his purposes, for Ephesians 2.10, for these good works that he has prepared in advance for you as you walk around, as you go. He's wanting to bind up the, the brokenhearted. He's wanting to set captives free. He's wanting to remove the scales off the eyes of people all around us. He's wanting to bring light into dark places and he's specifically equipped you so that it's not a, a, a burden. It's this thing that you've got to like figure out how to do it's, it's uh, he's equipped you so when that lane opens up, you're like, here I am, Lord, send me. I want to do this. It's a completely different way of walking with the Lord. And as we walk with the Holy Spirit, the spirit of adoption, he is testifying with our spirit that we are, in fact, children of God. He has given us a name and identity and a purpose, and he is walking with us as we step into that. So here's, here's what we're gonna do in conclusion. Um, if you're getting baptized today, let's uh, probably be a good time to go, to go get ready for that. Uh, just want to spend just a minute. Uh, we'll spend one minute, and I just want you to ask this of the Lord. Lord, um, you can do that identity mapping. Uh, I put like wallet-sized little pieces of paper in your, in your envelope. You can pull that out. That little stick figure is you. There's arrows. Think about the same things. Think about uh, your past. Think about, you know, some of y'all, you have your identity screaming in your heart right now, and you know. Uh, but some of you need to process through this. So think about uh, what you've survived, where you're from, where you're, who your family is, your name. You know, if you were lucky enough to have a mom that prayed over you and, like, uh, and, and, and spoke your identity over you, you know, write all of that stuff. Think of your profession. Um, and let's, let's put all that down. And I, and I had a little wallet size. I want you to carry it with you, stick it in your Bible, put it in the visor of your truck, um, and then bring it back next week because we're gonna build upon it. But let's, let's ask the Lord. Father God, I just pray that you would speak to them now in this minute. That, Lord, you would reinforce not the name that somebody else has spoken over them, but the name that you call them, the identity that you instilled in their hearts, and that they would walk in it and receive it. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.